From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house, ready to take your phone calls. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. And uh, you can always send us an email, open line at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Charles Beery today. Jeff Burson. Uh, manning the controls in social media land. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Milady. How are you? Just fine, thank you. So uh, in a land, in a, in a, in a time far, far, long ago, in a land far away, this was Ascension Thursday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, it still is in some places. <laughs> I, I remember a number of years ago, I was celebrating Mass in one diocese on Sunday and the other diocese on Ascension Thursday, and I had two Ascension Thursdays. Yeah. So, uh, yes. so you're going to talk a little bit about this feast today? Uh, yes, of course. God mounts His throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, this is kind of the final resolution of Christ's life on earth. And, the, the, of course, the only thing that remains is the judgment. And after Christ has spent his time on earth, after his resurrection, remember evangelizing the disciples now fully, then, as you recall, he calls them all together uh, and he sends them out to evangelize the world. Go, therefore, to the whole world and proclaiming the repentance and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's called the Great Commission. Uh, unfortunately, some still doubted, according to the scriptures, too, even though they'd seen the manifestation of the risen Lord. And so when God goes, Christ, in his human nature, leaves earth to go to heaven, he stands there, in a way, in heaven, and he beckons to all of us, to come with him at the end of our lives. In other words, he says, this is what you're preparing for. This is the final resolution. This is the final truth. And two important things concerning this feast we celebrate now. As you know, the scriptures tell us that the apostles, together with Mary, went back to the upper room. And since Christ had promised the Holy Spirit as the final revelation here on earth uh, they pray prepare themselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit so here you have the first great novena nine days 
Now, I know it kind of suffers a little bit when we do Ascension Sunday, but the whole idea is that the novena was started to reflect this time in which the disciples want to prepare themselves and Mary, of course, she already has the Holy Spirit, but she intercedes also for them for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which is when each one of them will experience the fullness of the faith that we participate in. The other important aspect of this feast is to remember that though Christ in his human nature has now gone to another place, uh, he's experiencing uh, exaltation in heaven, that he doesn't leave us orphans here on earth. And one of the things is, of course, at the Mass, we experience this final life through his risen and ascended flesh. Remember, we commemorate the ascension at the Mass also, uh, in which we are allowed to participate by being present at the sacrifice of the cross, but this includes the accepted sacrifice now in heaven where Christ continues to intercede for us. And when we communicate in Holy Communion, we are actually partaking of the ascended and risen body. So the ascended and risen body now becomes present on earth in millions of different places equally. We call the miracle transubstantiation and the natural results of this idea is that there are not, as I have always said, 10 million bodies of Christ all around the world in tabernacles of consecrated hosts. There's one body of Christ ascended and risen in heaven that becomes equally present in 10 million different places so that all of us might now experience the uh, food for our pilgrimage to finally end it, so that by the transformation and renewal of our mind, our interior life, we might actually uh, prepare ourselves completely for the final ordering of our character with our body and our soul in God, in heaven. So when Christ mounts, you know, God mounts the, his throne with shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord, in him, in his human nature, we too, in a sense, also mount the throne and we see what our final dignity is. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Um, We'll get your thoughts here, Father Brian, because Lulu, who's watching us on YouTube, she says that she's still in shock because of the events that happened in Texas yesterday. She says she processes things very slowly, and what might she do to uh, process this whole event and what's been going on in our culture as a whole? Oh, well, my goodness, it's it's a testimony on the failings of our culture. Uh, It's a terribly tragic event. I, people think I'm nuts about this, but I will share part of my solution to it. Besides the fact that you're dealing with a mad person, a person that is emotionally obviously very disturbed, it also demonstrates that as a result of the abortion contraceptive culture, people hold human life as nothing. 
And, and when you think that it's innocent children that are killed. Yeah, Mother Teresa shared your opinion. Yeah, they hold innocent life as nothing. And I use, I remember on the Columbine killings, and again, I don't want to offend anyone, but when I gave a sermon on that, I said, you know, the country is outraged and we're just prostrate spiritually with the fact that, what, 12 people were ch children, basically, yeah. were murdered and should be. But the odd thing is we're not going to experience the same prostration and the same spiritual despair in a way. Well, maybe I should say emotional despair when millions of innocent children are murdered every year. I mean, it's the same thing, you know. And it's because they didn't fit into someone's life or someone considered them evil or they didn't want to deal with them or for some reason. The inability to accept the dignity of human life is made in the image and likeness of God is certainly a part of this. I will say that I do not follow the idea that it's the guns that are the problem. And I'm sad it's become politicized. Whatever discussion you may have over limiting the Second Amendment of the right to bear arms in our country, this really shouldn't enter into it that much. I mean, it's like saying that if there was a meme that went up that uh, Cain killed Abel with a rock, so we should ban all rocks. <laughs> you know. um, the gun is a means. It's an inanimate thing, really. It doesn't have a soul. Whatever happens, happens because the person behind it has a soul. And we need to return to our spiritual roots. We need to return to religion, for one thing. Whatever, Protestant and Catholic, our country is prostrate also spiritually because we're in our, our religious practice has become almost nil in the last 50 years. And, you know, before there were lots of people that owned guns, but everybody didn't go around shooting each other in schools. I, I, don't, I don't, I remember when I was a little boy, we went to Catholic grammar school in Dayton, Ohio, and the grammar school was a little bit far piece from where I lived, so uh, we had to take the city bus there. Well, we were second graders and first graders. We went by ourselves. Nobody accompanied us. And we weren't afraid at all. And everybody would have protected us if anybody tried to attack. A different time for sure. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN has an alternative radio feed called EWTN Radio Essentials. We sort of reworked the programming on that at the beginning of the pandemic, so there's a lot more uh, liturgy, devotionals, and things like that. But we also carry things like uh, live ordinations and installations of bishops and all kinds of stuff like that. You can find uh, find out what's going on on EWTN Radio Essentials at EWTN.com slash radio. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Jose in Manhattan listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Uh, Jose, you're on with Father Brian. Uh, thank you for taking the call. Um, Father, when the war between uh, Russia and Ukraine broke out, we were all praying for peace. Um, but now upon further reflection, I'm thinking we should all be praying for Ukrainian victory under the just war theory. As you know, Ukraine was um, invaded unjustly. Um, the country and its population is being subjected to horrible human rights abuses. If Ukraine loses the war, they're going to be subject to um, a dictatorship. Um, their democracy will be taken away. Uh, the rule of law will be extinguished. Um, isn't this more of a scenario similar to World War II, where clearly one side um, represented evil, evil on Earth, and the, the, the allies were, were trying to prevent that spread of evil? Isn't that the same scenario here, where we have to pray for a just peace? A, a peace where Ukraine um, defeats evil. And I just want to get your comments on that. Well, I don't like commenting on political things because I'm a cleric. I mean, I have my opinions about it all, but I'm not an expert. I don't live over there. Uh, what I do know is this, that uh, in that particular instance, I, I've read, all right, I've read that neither side is totally without blame for human rights violations. And uh, Ukraine is not exactly what I would call a pure democracy, for sure. Um, in fact, they say that it's basically subsidized by Soros, George Soros's money. But on the UR right, that the fact that the Soviet, uh, the Russians decided to invade it, was an unjust action on their part, because they really haven't declared war between states or anything like that. What they try to do is absorb a piece of territory back into theirs. Now, of course, from their point of view, it's because it was a part of Russia for many years, centuries. But from the Ukrainians' point of view, they didn't like that ever. And it became even more evident under communism. And then, you know, remember they welcomed Hitler's troops because they thought it would be better than, the, than Stalin, and they found out that it wasn't quite, quite true. So they really need to kind of have a kind of self-autonomy. So I think that I know the scenario we have accepted in our country is the one you are saying, but I'm not really certain that both societies don't have something about them that's evil. Certainly, though, with the idea that the attack was unprovoked, that would fit into the just war theory. You have to remember, however, that according to the just war theory, the evils that you're avoiding should not be made worse by your avoiding them. And that country is going to be just devastated when it's over. Uh, people want to know why they don't use nuclear weapons, the Russians. Well, that's the breadbasket of, Ru of Russia. If they contaminated all the wheat there, they'd all starve. It's it's strange. It's a very strange place. It's uh, got so many natural resources, and it's been fought over for many centuries. It was part of Poland at one point, 400 or 500 years ago. So it, pro it needs to have its own autonomy to see how it's going to work. But we mustn't um, canonize 
too many states are too, too easily. That's all. Thanks, Jose. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Darlene is in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Darlene, you're on with Father Brian. Afternoon, Father Brian. I am an evangelical convert of about 15 years now. Wonderful. Um, Yeah. Um, Adam has been in the news an awful lot lately, especially with the consecration of Russia thing that went on a a few weeks ago. That spurred my interest in it, and I started looking up a little bit more about the history of of all of that. And Sister Lucia. It's very interesting. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. And I, I came across, I was reading, I was reading an interview that she, um, that the transcript of an interview that she gave to, I can't remember the priest's name, but to some priest that was, I guess, like her, um, her mentor or spiritual advisor or whatever. But at the end of the thing, she kept talking about, um, you know, um, how unhappy Mary was when they, you know, had these visions and, you know, that, um, Mary's heart, you know, her uh, heart was uh, offended. At the very end of the interview, she started talking about, she appeared to be talking about um, people needed to turn to Mary and develop a greater love and greater devotion to her because she was the, she was the true door to heaven. And, you know, I've read it several times, and I thought, it sounds like, you know, she was saying that, you know, unless you, you know, turn to Mary's Immaculate Heart, she's the door to heaven, not Christ. And I was just wondering if you could clarify that. The only thing I can come up with is that because she's in, she's one of our intercessors to Christ, that that might be what they meant by that. But I was wondering if you had any thoughts or clarification uh, Well, this is the that. common objection of the Protestants to us praying and asking the intercession of Our Lady, that we're somehow substituting Mary for Jesus. Um, I admit sometimes it can seem that way for some people, especially people who are very involved in Marian devotion. I remember there was a sister I knew, and she had these beautiful, lovely May crownings every May. And her friend, who was also a sister, one day she was teasing her, right? And she said, Mary, 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 everything's Mary with you. She said, when you get to heaven, you're not even going to know Jesus, and so sister said, well, if Mary's there, at least I know I'm in the right pew, <laughs> was her answer. Look, Christ's human flesh is our mediator between God and man. Christ's human flesh came from the flesh of Mary. Obviously, he took flesh from her, so it's her flesh too. You as a woman or a mother should know this much better than I do that is a part of his intercessory power and also his mediation. So we don't substitute Mary for Jesus, but obviously she's very much involved in everything that happens because her flesh of her body is involved in everything that happens. And so uh, what Lucia was emphasizing was the visions, and the visions were of Our Lady, and you remember, part of the thing Our Lady said was God is much offended by this. And she never talked about herself, right? And, of course, uh, again, I don't think any of us have any conception now of what World War I was like. Would you consider 50 million people were killed for basically nothing over a few yards in France 
It was insanity. And the world has never been the same since World War I. And so uh, she said that business about the heart being much offended, um, God being much offended, and but asked for them to pray the rosary because the rosary is actually a prayer to Christ. Um, so I, I think that uh, sometimes it seems like we could be making too much of Our Lady, but after all, if the vision is a Mary, she's going to be in the central part of it. And she always brings us to her son. So when I was a little boy, we used to have all for Jesus through Mary with a smile was what we were told. Thank so she Oops. points to Jesus, right? Yeah. Thank you, Darlene. We appreciate that phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. couple of open lines at 833-288-EWTN. Deacon Dan is in St. Louis, a first-time caller, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Deacon Dan, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Brian. Thank you, and thank you for taking my call. So I just want to continue, uh, Father Brian, your, your comment with the first question, the first caller. Um, I totally agree, and I echo uh, from the pulpit, just like you do, uh, on uh, this uh, culture of death that we've come out of in the sexual revolution and, and the sort. And, you know, we, we, we sit here and we question, we hear ourselves questioning, well, how can we, how, can, how did this happen? How do, how do we allow this? Uh, with abortion, you know, and then we have these, these now these kids that uh, keep taking kids' lives, and we sit there and go, well, how do we, how do we allow this to happen? How does, how does this do this? And I liken it when I, when I lead uh, discussions on it, when I was first watching television, and, you know, you see uh, the bedroom scene of whatever, leave it to Beaver, whatever the, whatever, it doesn't matter whatever the, the show was. You, yeah. you, if you did see they a, all had a bedroom beds. scene, yes. yeah, right. When you did see it, right. Yeah. Separate beds, a lampstand between the two, you know, now you watch a show and what do you have? The opening scene is a, is a, is a sex scene or, or some other violent scene. Right. So everybody got these. Yes. They got desensitized to sexuality. Oh, well, big time. So what's your question? Right. So, so not really a question, just a comment. So we wonder why our kids are, are picking up arms and doing these things. And when my son was uh, starting in the, in the early preteens and wanting to play video games, the violence in those video games, I said, absolutely not. You cannot have this game or that game, yeah. right? It's just too violent. You know, but here we are now, uh, you know, 15 years later, and these, these kids are desensitized to this violence of, of guns and killing, and it's so realistic. Pretty soon the adrenaline rush from the video game stops. Now they have to go get that adrenaline rush that they're addicted to, the serotonin, well, you know. Well, I, I, th I think we're being too universalist here. Very few people go to schools and shoot kids, obviously. So I don't think it's all the kids. It's just very few that are very troubled. And they're very troubled for various reasons. But part of the reason, as you mentioned, is because we're desensitized to human life. Um, you know, when I was a boy, we all had cap guns. We all had air rifles. Uh, but we didn't ever seriously think we were going to shoot anybody. We had BB guns, all those things. 
the real thing in a way, but we never thought we were going to shoot anybody or anything like that. But it's a few people. It's more to do with the emotional distress of the drug culture, I think. EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Got some open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Next stop is Lynchburg, Virginia. Sandy is a first-time caller watching us on YouTube today. Sandy, you're on with Father Brian. Oh, hello, Father Brian. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say my family and I have been watching you on EWTN um, for many years, so we love you and we thank you for your, your priesthood. Um, but I had a question about um, the the order of the Mass uh, during the liturgy, during the communion rites. And I guess after the, the, the bread is consecrated and the wine um, is changed into the blood of precious blood, but... Um, when I've, we've been attending a Catholic church, and when we go up to receive communion, um, not only the priests but the Eucharistic ministers will say, receive the body and blood of Christ. So they do not distinguish. They say, receive the body and blood of Christ. Um, this host has in no way been dipped in you know the precious blood before we receive it. So I was just wondering if that is correct. Uh, well, it wouldn't be um, unless they're... I mean, it wouldn't be correct, period, but it might be understandable if they were trying to expedite matters. Uh, or did they receive the chalice? Because most people don't now, during because of COVID. No, yes, uh, they're not making the chalice available. I mean, I think Okay, well, then I wouldn't... No, no, they shouldn't do that. Um, it's true that by a certain presence, the body contains the blood, but we have to follow the ritual, and the ritual is quite clear that when you unless you do it under both species, or as you say, by intention, which is really by both species, that um, you're only giving the body of Christ, and that's why you say the body of Christ. So they should follow the ritual. Yeah. Does that help, Sandy? That, well, they're giving direction um, you know, by the priest to, to say that. And, you know, well, I don't care if the so priest that, that, is giving Priests, right. yeah, uh, listen... I'm not going to justify every priest on earth and what they, how they decide to change their the mass. Oh my goodness, I couldn't possibly do that. And <laughs> I've always been surprised because I give a missions at different parishes every week, and I always think I've seen the last strange liturgical thing, and then something else happens, and I thought, gee, <laughs> oh gosh, I never, I never even imagined that this would be a part of the mass, you know. So read the black, do the red. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but see, a lot of people, they think they want to, I don't know what it is, they're the self-appointed interpreters of the missile. Yeah. And we we got into that in the 60s because they uh, part of the liturgical renewal was they started this business of experimentation. 
Now, people went really off the wall sometimes in experimentation. But once the genie was let out of the bottle where you could sort of experiment with the ritual, then it's been very hard to stuff it back in again once they uh, settled on the present missile. Thanks so much, Sandy. That was a great phone call today. Next up is Regina, a first-time caller in Washington, D.C., listening on Guadalupe Radio. Regina, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, thanks. Um, I remember hearing that, you know, the uh, the devil can appear as an angel of light and imitate a lot of phenomena, but there are a couple things he can't imitate. I think one of them is humility, and what else, do you know? Well, I wouldn't know what you're referring to specifically, but there is a many there are many stories in the Fathers of the Church about how you tell the difference between an angel of light and the devil. And one of them is that the devil appeared to one of the fathers in, in the rep- representation of an angel of light, and that person said, "Oh no, I'm not worthy to have such a vision," and the devil immediately disappeared before such humility. Uh, another test today in, in exorcisms is that you often speak to what this is how you tell the difference between whether you're dealing with an emotional problem or real possession. Uh, the exorcist is asked to do the exorcism in Latin because if it's an emotional problem, there won't be any response because it's really the person who may not have any idea what his Latin is. But said so Satan does speak Latin, yes, he does. <laughs> He'll answer. So that's one of the tests, too. But, uh, oh, yeah, anything, especially humility. The devil's primary sin was pride, and he can't, uh, he can't function in the presence of someone who isn't as egotistical as he is. So if you want to arm yourself against the devil, don't believe the the manifestation before you not even the fruits because sometimes the fruits can be uh, things uh, the devil has that power over nature and in some cases he can perform the fruits also but if you uh, approach them with the idea that you're not becoming proud and having a special experience and uh, a special knowledge of God that nobody else has of the whole thing then the devil is helpless before that Thanks, Regina. Appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Ron in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Ron, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hello. Uh, I have a question for you and a good one, too, but my wife was just, just mentioning to me. She wanted to ask me why... Uh, are virtually all, 100% of all the Italian mob guys across the United States and Irish, uh, including Al Capone, Bonanno, uh, a hitman from Chicago, some that I knew, they're almost all Roman Catholic, and many of them are devout. Like uh, Tony Spilatro wanted to have pray the rosary before they killed him. He was the biggest hitman in Chicago. Al Capone was a huge supporter of the Catholic Church. Uh, something's wrong here. Uh, we're talking about thousands and thousands, no, millions of men and associates, uh, many of them. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I don't think you can make a statement like everybody, 
because you don't know everybody, all right? But you're certainly right that the chief mafiosi seemed to make a show of the practice of their religion. Uh, why they do that, I don't know. I'm not them. I'm not in their, their bodies or their souls. But I would suspicion that part of it is hedging your bets. You know, um, if you uh, are trying to do something good for somebody, maybe God will let you off all the evil you've done. Secondly, I think that many of the reason the mafiosi were Catholic is because many of the Catholics were extremely poor in Italy and in certain cultures. And so um, the people that and originally a lot of these things began in places like Sicily as protectionist organizations. In fact, the so-called vendetta that's not an Italian invention. That actually comes from the Arabs. Remember, the Arabs conquered Sicily for a while. And that's the blood feud that's taken over from the men of the desert or the Muslims. So, uh, I don't know. They, they tend to compartmentalize their lives and pretend that this part it doesn't exist and isn't real, whereas the other part is. Uh, obviously what they're doing is stupid and weird. Uh, I know priests in the Bronx, for example, who were taken away in the middle of the night and anoint someone or whatever. And then when they came in the sacristy the next morning, there was a bag of money there. Well, they never used it. They used to give it away or burn it because it was blood money. So just because a person looks well in the eyes of others, it's, it's having standing in the community, and that includes of the church, doesn't mean they look well in the eyes of God, and they need to be in fear and trembling about that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Stephen in the great state of California watching us on YouTube today. Stephen, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Brian. Thank you. I uh, just want to say I appreciate your show with uh, Deacon Harold and uh, been loving. Uh, the quick question I have is, Father, what do I do? I, I, I'm a Protestant, accepted uh, Christ at a Billy Graham concert in 74 and looking at the Catholic Church, but do not know what to do about the fact that I see some clergy pointing towards uh, towards the fact that you need to join the Catholic Church, and some saying that, hey, you've, you've got the faith, you, you believe in the triune nature of God, and your water baptism, proper baptism, you don't need to come in. What's the proper uh, answer? Well, that's because you're from California, you're told that. <laughs> Being a Californian. Santa Californian, yeah, exactly. Some of them are quite um, cuckoo when it comes to interpreting the faith. And it's true there was a theological strain that basically held that all religions were more or less equal if you were a Christian, uh, and you didn't need to convert. Now, that's a Masonic opinion, for one thing. Now, if you have faith in the Catholic Church, you need to convert. And actually, though we recognize, you know, true elements in other Christian denominations, 
those true elements also have some elements in them that are not true. And the true elements need to be reintegrated with the faith from which they came, which means they have to bring them back to Catholicism because those true elements were taken from Catholicism to begin with. So, no, you really do need to convert and not listen to those voices to tell you that I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs> when it comes to some basic tenets of the religion, you know, a part of our religion, and we're going to talk about this in Pentecost, is that the disciples, the apostles, have the fullness of faith. And the bishops and the pope are the successors of the apostles. And so when the College of Apostles acts together, or when the pope represents them, or he himself as the head of the college speaks, that we need to form our uh, faith accordingly. And that, does that mean every papal statement? Of course not. But it means when it comes to expressing the faith as a whole that we believe in, uh, he has authority and we don't. And a lot of the Protestants, they would accept even the fact that the Pope has a kind of privacy of honor, but not of jurisdiction. He can't tell them what to do. Um, and that's not true. So you mean to look at the positive things in your faith that you think is leading you to Catholicism, and investigate entering the church through RCIA and with your priest. Uh, I mean, hopefully it won't be the priest who tells you you didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Stephen. We'll keep you in our prayers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Be sure to check out Word on Fire Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m., 4, excuse me, p.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Bishop Robert Barron, Robert Barron illust <laughs> how am I doing? Let's start over. Bishop Robert Barron illustrates the truth, beauty, and goodness of Catholicism, unlike me not demonstrating the truth, beauty, and goodness of the English language. Um, <laughs> that's Word on Fire Sunday afternoon, 4 Eastern Time on EWTN Radio with Bishop Robert Barron. Uh, next up is Denny, a first-time caller in Pennsburg, Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Denny, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I just listened to you for about 15 minutes here. I heard uh, some people call about uh, what's happening with shootings and stuff like that. And I was asking your screener that I was telling them on any radio station, talk show, and I call a lot of them up here near Philly, no one ever talks about the judgment of God on nations. Like they're afraid of it. And I'm sure that you as a priest would believe in the judgment of God, like uh, Sodom and War in the Old Testament. Uh, Nineveh would have been judged, but they repented. And Jesus talks about both of them in the New Testament. So people try to write it off, but I believe in the judgment of God on nations. And I think that's what's happening in America that I can see. What do you think, I'm Father? I'm 68. I know, I think he's right about that. Um... The judgment of God is occurring with us because of abortion and the destruction of the family and the destruction of religion. But I'm not, I'm not sure it's a direct judgment of God. In other words, the very fact that we've denied all those things is going to lead to all kinds of problems, social problems, where, and of course sin is a part of this, sin is involved in this too. People say, well, how can people do this? Well, it's called original sin, hello. Um, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, a lot of people also don't believe in sin anymore. I remember in the late 60s, there was a Protestant minister 
who was also a psychiatrist. His name was Carl Benninger. And he had a very big following in the Midwest. But he got so frustrated as a minister with his people who followed his psychological teachings but had no interest in spiritual life that he wrote a book which was called Whatever Became of Sin. That was like in 1968. And we're still, we're still living with the 60s. We have to admit it. They have not passed us by in our formation of our culture. And whatever became a sin is certainly a very good thing to emphasize. Um, and the same was true of the judgment of God. But remember, the punishment of the wicked, though it does occur here on earth, is normally reserved till the end of time in its fullness. And actually, here on earth, the wicked sometimes prosper. That's one of the themes of the book of Job, uh, because it seems so much against divine providence. And yet Job, uh, Thomas Aquinas, when he wrote a commentary on Job, he says, God allows the wicked to prosper because that's their only hope. And if he took the materialist goods away from them, they despair totally. He says, whereas the good, they don't hope in material goods. And so for them to experience some evil in life, there doesn't cause them a lack of hope because their hope is primarily in the next world. So there's all kinds of interesting reflections on that. And what you say is true, of course, ultimately we all have to face that judgment. I'm getting closer with every passing day, and I can assure you it's very sobering to think about. Thanks, Danny. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN. 833-288-3986. Next stop is Bowling Green, Kentucky. Gary is in Kentucky listening on Save Your Radio. Gary, you're on with Father Brian. Thanks. Uh, I have a question about Eucharistic prayer number one. I, I love Eucharistic prayer number one, but you don't hear it very often, I guess because it's so long. Uh, but I love the invocation of the saints and, and so forth. It's a beautiful prayer, but there's a there's a puzzling line in there where the priest says, we offer this sacrifice on behalf of the faithful, or they offer it for themselves, or some, right. something to that effect. And I've never quite understood what that what that means or how that can be, since, you know, obviously part of the reason we have the priesthood is to offer the Holy Sacrifice to the Mass for us. So what's going on there? Well, we interiorize that. And as a part of that, remember that famous act of participation of Vatican II? Well, that's the interiorization of that. And it has to do with the um, fact that by the consecration of baptism, all of us uh, offer an inner oblation of ourselves. And we receive back the gift, which is our Lord. Of course, we do it through the priest and through Christ's, um, uh, our relationship to Christ's death on the cross. But this is the interior oblation in which each of us is asked to participate. Uh, that's why that's what's meant by the active participation of Vatican II. Not singing more hymns, especially when you can't sing, and having constant noise. Uh, I'm not so against those things, so they can help inner participation. But it's the interior oblation of yourself, in which you give yourself when the priest holds up the patent at the offertory, you offer yourself too. And then when the gifts come down in the apoclesis, and the consecration, then you are consecrated too. And that's why the inner oblation is so important. 
Thanks so much, Gary. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, I think, I heard, I, I think I'm accurate on this, but I, I had heard once uh, someone was talking about the difference in the length between the first Eucharistic prayer and the other Eucharistic prayers. If I'm not mistaken, I think the reading of the first Eucharistic prayer is something less than two minutes longer than the other Eucharistic prayers. Well, what I found amusing is that, you know, now the young priests, you can't say anything but Eucharistic prayer one, where in my era, it's mostly, you hardly ever say Eucharistic prayer one, (laughs) to such an extent that I used it once on Sunday in a parish where I was giving a mission, and this man came out of church, and he said, where did you get that anyway? You made it up, didn't you? <laughs> I said, uh, no, sir, it's the it's the traditional prayer of the Mass for hundreds of years. Hello? But it's because people use it so rarely that everybody forgets. Or nobody, you know, the evangelization concerning the Mass is something really important, and that's why the bishops have established these preachers this coming year, the Eucharistic year, ending with the Eucharistic Congress. Yeah, I believe it's in Indiana, in the next Corpus Christi. Next up is Deacon Terry, a first-time caller in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Deacon Terry, you're on with Father Brian. Uh, Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. uh, Thank you. I uh, appreciate your comments about the gentleman who spoke about the mafiosa and uh, regarding the... uh, compartmentalization of uh, people's faith and their, and their personal actions. And I was wondering if you find it interesting that uh, the saying goes, the more things change, the more they remain the same, that uh, throughout history, we see a lot of people who say they are uh, devout Catholics just do not follow the, uh, the true teachings of the Church. Oh, yeah. I, yes, I agree with you 100%. Um, all those people in the Middle Ages and things could slaughter all these people, but yet they were devout Catholics. They kind of separated that part out. Uh, Napoleon, who persecuted the church his whole life, uh, stabling his horses in churches. Remember, he died with a priest because he said he didn't want to die die like a dog in the street with no priest. And he was supposedly to have said that the happiest day of his life was his first communion. I mean, it's very strange how people compartmentalize things in their soul, and especially this sort of thing. Um, They don't see that religion affects everything you do because God affects everything you do. Christ affects everything you do. St. Augustine says, God is closer to us than we are to our very selves, and yet for some reason we think that there's a certain part part of him in our life that we could just put there somewhere, tuck it safe, and lock it up and do that in that particular part of our soul while we're doing the other in the other. <laughs> we'll head to Gene quickly in Blythewood, South Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Gene, you're on with Father Brian. Hello, Father. I was just wondering about the other caller from California. He mentioned Billy Graham. And I wondered, in your opinion, why do you think that Billy Graham or his son has never converted to Catholicism? Oh, I really don't know. Um, it's all in a person's inner faith, and it's the same with C.S. Lewis. I mean, there should have been nobody that converted to Catholicism more readily than C.S. Lewis, and yet it seems he was a f- highly affected 
by having grown up in Northern Ireland and been very anti-Catholic. And also he had a lot of trouble with not so much the theory but the practice of community religion. <laughs> and it's, it's sad, it really is, because he was so brilliant an author on Catholic and Christian themes. But for some reason that part of it just deserted him. And I've known a lot of people in some cultures where they, everything about them is Catholic. Some are maybe members of the church, but uh, and, and happily members of the church. But there's that one little thing they just can't give up. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a historian, a British historian named Paul Johnson, who was educated by the Dominican Sisters of the Jesuits, then fell away from the church for a long time. John Paul II brought him back. He was very devout. He daily went to Mass, but he was convinced that there was going to be a woman pope sometime in the future. <laughs> and uh, you think, wait a minute, Paul, it's all of a piece. And you're, you're a brilliant man. You know that, I guess, I hope. <laughs> but there's a, just this one little part where they're not willing to surrender totally. So, Well, and plus I think, Father, that, that I think Marcus Grodi, our friend Marcus Grodi, would certainly back us up on this. But, but when you're a, 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 an evangelical or a Protestant person in ministry— uh, especially if you're a prominent figure in ministry, boy, you're leveraged against a pretty tough hurdle to get over, regardless of what you may be believing. Oh, that's true. That's very true. Or the Anglican clergyman. I remember I dealt with one one time who was very elderly, and all these people wanted me to give him communion, and he didn't have permission to go to communion. But he used to come to Mass. And the bishop says, I'm familiar with the case. Why wouldn't he convert? Because he loses retirement. Goodness. Well, Father Brian, thanks for another great program. Would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Charles Beery, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it tomorrow with Open Line Friday and our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until we get together then, God bless.